The New Testament reading for today is Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, and also 23 through 29. Hebrews 11, 1 is where we'll begin, and the Old Testament reading is Exodus 14, 15 through 31. So Hebrews 11 and Exodus 14. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let us go now to Exodus 14 and read verses 15 through 31, our sermon text for today. Exodus 14, 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, the chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen." Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, 
the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it today. Before we jump into the details of our text for today, I'd like to take a moment to first of all acknowledge that it must have been very terrifying for Israel to leave Egypt. You know, as we consider this story, it can be easy to forget that these were real people with real fears and anxieties. Uh, the Hebrews were a very weak and vulnerable people. The only life they knew was life in Egyptian bondage. And as awful as that life must have been, it was what they were familiar with. On the other side of the border of Egypt was the unknown. Who would the Hebrews encounter there? How strong would their foes be? Which way would they go? What would they eat and drink in that desert region? And what if Pharaoh decided to pursue them with his army? What would they do then? Uh, the Hebrews knew that life was bad in Egypt, but at least it was familiar to them, relatively predictable to them. Uh, things could be even worse for them if they left. I'm sure that was on their mind. And so we should acknowledge that it took great faith for the Hebrews to follow the Lord into the wilderness as they did, to break with Egypt, and to establish Israel. Clearly, we see that the Lord had proved Himself to Israel to move them to do such an extreme thing. It was through the signs and wonders that He worked through Moses and Aaron that the Lord proved Himself to be present with them, powerful and worthy of trust. And this is one of the purposes of signs and wonders. The signs and wonders that were worked in the days of Moses served this purpose. The signs and wonders that were worked in the days of Christ and His apostles served this purpose purpose as well. Signs and wonders. The Lord uses these things to prove Himself to be present with His people, powerful and worthy of trust. And we see that Israel followed the Lord into the wilderness despite all of the dangers and despite all of the unknowns because the Lord had proved Himself to them through these signs and wonders. So that is the first thing that I'd like to acknowledge. This must have been a terrifying thing. Uh, for Israel to do, to leave Egypt, to leave everything that they knew, and to go off to wander in wilderness places. Secondly, by way of introduction, I think it is important for us to again, uh, to recognize the similarities between what God did through Moses and what God has done through Christ. In the days of Moses and in the days of Christ, God accomplished a great act of deliverance. Through Moses, God delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery, and through Christ, God has delivered His elect from the domain of darkness, from the power of sin, and the sting of death. You've heard this before, haven't you? I've reminded, it of you, uh, I've reminded you of it time and time again in this sermon series. I think it is important for us to see this continuously. And please make this connection too. Both Moses and Christ call God's people to an exodus. Moses called Israel to make a physical exit from Pharaoh's kingdom. And Christ calls His elect in every age to make a spiritual exit from Satan's kingdom. Israel would physically leave Egypt to sojourn towards a physical promised land. There they would establish a new nation. 
There they would build a physical temple. There they would be the kingdom of God manifest on earth. And all who are in Christ, all who are united to Him by faith, have been called to leave Satan's kingdom, spiritually speaking. We've made an exit if we are in Christ. By God's power and grace, we've been released from bondage to Satan's domain, ushered into Christ's spiritual kingdom, and we are now sojourning towards the heavenly promised land. All who are in Christ have made an exodus. Just as the Hebrews could not follow the Lord without walking out of Egypt, so too one cannot follow Christ without making a clean break from Satan's domain. To state matters differently, no one can serve two masters. Either Christ is Lord or the evil one is. Or we might say that no one could live in these two spiritual kingdoms simultaneously. We either belong to the kingdom of light or we belong to the kingdom of darkness. By nature, we belong to the kingdom of darkness. And I'm saying that to be a citizen of the kingdom of light, there must be a break, an exodus from the kingdom of darkness. To put it yet another way, for there to be faith in Christ, there must also be repentance. Faith in Christ involves a turning from sin, an exodus, a break from one kingdom and an entrance into another. And this is what Paul says that God has done for those in Christ. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You you see, this is Exodus language here. We've been delivered from one kingdom and we've been transferred into a new one. Those who have faith in Christ must learn to think of their faith in these terms, in these kingdom terms. Following after Christ in this world involves an exodus from one kingdom and an entrance into another And with that said, I do pray that it is easier for you to identify now with the experience of the Hebrews. What they experienced physically, those in Christ have experienced spiritually. If you are in Christ, you know what it is to be set free from spiritual bondage. You know what it is to transfer your allegiance from one master to another. You know what it is to be apart, to be set apart in this world as holy and to have the world now look upon you as strange. In fact, you know that the world does not sit idly by, but does often disapprove of, mock, and even attack those who have broken away from them to be citizens of another kingdom and to have another king. So there's hostility involved here in this transition from one kingdom to another. The king of our former kingdom is not pleased, nor are the citizens of that former kingdom pleased. They do pursue God's people to consume them. And this is what Christ spoke about when He said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, Christ says, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Uh, Christ is here using kingdom language Help us to understand what our experience will be in this world as Christian sojourners. 
We've made a break from the kingdom of darkness. We've been transferred into this kingdom of light. And the world, those who belong to that former kingdom, will hate us. They hate our king and they will hate us. We ought to expect it. Brothers and sisters, Christ has accomplished our redemption. This He did when He died on the cross, rose on the third day, and ascended to the Father. The benefits of this redemption that He has earned for us come to us when we turn from our sins and to Christ by faith. It is then that having been set free from the domain of darkness, we are transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That happens in time, in our lives, when we turn from sin into Christ and believe upon Him. In Christ we have a new king. In Christ we have a new citizenship, a new calling, a new hope, a new way of life. But do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when the ruler and citizens of your old kingdom disapprove of your departure. Do not be surprised when they pursue you to, uh, to, to return you to themselves, to, to oppose you, and even to do you harm. In our passage for today, we find Israel in the wilderness. I wonder if you can picture them there. I think it is important for us to use our imaginations as we uh, explore this, this wonderfully rich narrative. Picture there Israel in the wilderness. They've begun their exodus from Egypt. But instead of heading northeast toward the promised land, the Lord led them to the southeast into a vast desert wilderness and towards Mount Sinai. There He would enter into covenant with them and give them His law. I think I had a map in my outline. Believe it or not, I think I had a map in the slides. Is it there by chance, River? You know what? It just wasn't meant to be. I think last, during the last sermon I used my hand, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, you, you have Egypt here, have the promised land up here, Israel didn't go this way, they went down this way in a strange direction. They went down to the south and they went to the east, not towards the promised land, uh, not in that direct way, but into the desert wilderness where God would enter into covenant with them and give them his law. And it was not long into their journey that they found themselves trapped between Pharaoh's army and a large body of water, which the text refers to as the Red Sea. It's really hard to know where exactly this happened. Uh, theories abound. But the storyline is very clear. Israel was trapped with the water of the sea on one side and the armies of Pharaoh on the other. Picture this. Imagine how terrifying this must have been for Israel. And we should not forget that it was the Lord that led them there into this seemingly dire situation. Wrap your heads around that for just a moment. It was the Lord that led them there. They were boxed in between Pharaoh's army on the one side and the Red Sea on the other. And, and how did they get to this place? They followed the Lord. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night took them into this, this situation that seemed so dire that seemed as if there was going to be no way of escape. This was going to be the end of Israel. I'm sure every Israelite was, was sure of, of, of that. The Lord led them there. And more than this, we are told that it was the Lord who hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would pursue Israel with the intent to subdue them again. The Lord was sovereign over Pharaoh and his armies. The Lord moved him to do this thing, to pursue Israel into the wilderness. But we also know that it was the will of the Lord to have 
the victory over the armies of Pharaoh, so that he might show himself to the Hebrews and to the nations as God Almighty once again. In this way, God would get the glory. I, I want you to make the connection, even on your own, between Israel's experience and ours, between this little, this little microcosm of redemption and the bigger story of redemption to uh, brothers and sisters. We can see all of this clearly as we look back upon the story with 2020 hindsight, that the Lord intended this for good, that the Lord would get the glory in the end. But the Hebrews who lived through it were terrified. We learn of their reaction in 14.10. They feared greatly, the text says. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done this to us, to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I mean, we see that they are they're just losing it. They're coming undone. Their faith is unraveling. They're turning on Moses again. And Moses responded to them with these marvelous words of faith. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What, what marvelous words from Moses to the people of Israel. These are words for us too as sojourners. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, Moses said. But it is not. But is it this? But is this not also what is said to us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Excuse me. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which Christ has worked for you. The Lord has fought for you, and you have only to be silent. In verse fifteen, we find the Lord's words to Moses. We now begin our text for today. The Lord said to Moses, "Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward." Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Why do you cry to me? The Lord said. Uh, certainly the Lord is not here rebuking Moses for offering up prayers to him. Uh, that was the right thing for him to do, to cry out to the Lord in prayer in the face of this threat. Uh, taken in context, this must mean the time has come to cease from praying and to get up and move, Moses. The, the time is now for you to cease crying out to me and to get up and, and to tell the people to, to go forward. That is what the Lord instructed Moses to do. They were to pick up their things. They were to prepare to leave. You know, it is possible to become so fixated on the problems of life and on the threats that we face that we grow paralyzed. Have you ever noticed this? Sometimes we look at the world and all of the difficulties within it. It's timely, isn't it? very intrusive, yes? <laughs> it is timely. You know, it is possible, as I was saying, to become so fixated on the problems of life and the threats that we face that we, we can grow paralyzed and not know what to do. When the Lord spoke to Israel saying, I will fight for you and you have only to be silent, He did not mean that the Hebrews would have nothing to do at all. There's always something to do, brothers and sisters. Did you know that? There's always something to do. The people of Israel were called to walk by faith while the Lord fought for them. Uh, they would not have to fight. The Lord would fight for them, but they would have to walk. They would have to walk by faith. And so the Lord commanded Israel through Moses to go forward. That is what the Lord said. Go forward. I think this is a very good word for us today. It, it's so simple. 
But I think we need to hear it. Go forward, brothers and sisters. Go forward. Cry out to the Lord, yes. Trust that the Lord will fight for you, yes. But also go forward. Keep walking. Do not be paralyzed by fear. Do not be inactive as the evil one pursues you and as the citizens of that kingdom of darkness persecute you. Cry out to the Lord. Trust that He will fight for you. But go forward. Continue to walk by faith. Walk knowing that the Lord is on your side. He will fight for you. He will lead you. He will even move behind you to protect you as is illustrated here in this marvelous story. These are very perplexing times that we are living in. Aren't they? I always say there's nothing new under the sun. I stand by that. (laughs) But these are strange times. These are very strange times. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything that we see in the world today is the the product of of the heart of man, of, 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 of evil men. Um, It's the same story over and over again. Um, But these are perplexing times. I think we should acknowledge it. We're experiencing very rapid cultural changes here in this place. Not only has our culture forgotten God, the culture seems to be at war with God. You see it, I see it. Being a Christian, I think a true Christian in this culture, is getting more and more difficult with each passing year. The pressures are very great. You and I feel it. The enemy seems to be so strong. It is vital that we trust the Lord. And it's also vital that we go forward. We must walk by faith. And I see it, there is a ditch on both sides of the road here. On the left there are those who are paralyzed by fear, but on the right there are those who assume that some new and extraordinary thing must be done if we are to overcome uh, these pressures that we face. Are 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 you following me here? Do not be paralyzed by fear. Cry out to the Lord, yes, but go forward too. But don't fall into the other ditch, brothers and sisters, and assume that some some new and extraordinary thing must be done, some radical action must be taken. I don't think so. In fact, the Christian is called to do what the Christian has always been called to do. We are to go forward, walking by faith and not by sight. We are to go forward, trusting that the Lord will fight for us. We are to go forward, living in obedience to the commands of God. We are to go forward in the worship of God. We are to go forward in the raising of our children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to work to God's glory. We're to eat and drink to God's glory. We're to live lives of faith, hope, and love. We're to give thanks in every circumstance as we entrust ourselves to the care of our gracious Lord. On the one hand, never are we to forget that it is the Lord who fights for us. We must rest in Him. On the other hand, never are we to cease from walking. The people of God must always go forward in faith. I've spoken briefly about the increasing pressure being felt by the church today in this culture. I'm actually excited about it. Is that weird? I really am, sincerely. I think think it's good for us, brothers and sisters. It's been good for us. I think it will be good for us. I think it will refine God's faithful. I think it will separate, in some ways, the wheat from the chaff. I think it is good for Christ's church to feel this pressure. We're seeing a greater distinction between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness than what we are accustomed to seeing. 
I think we're seeing the importance of the church like maybe never before. Have you noticed this? Uh, it's not that we need to do uh, extraordinary things, something new. It's not that we have to be innovative. We have to be faithful to do what God has always called us to do. To what? The Christian life is described as, as a walk. What a common thing. We learn to walk when we're really little. And we walk all of our lives. We hardly think about it when we walk. It's just a natural thing to us. And I think there's a reason why the Christian life is called a walk. It's because we're not called to do extraordinary things in Christ. We're called to, to walk by faith and not by sight. To be faithful in small things. To be diligent. To pursue Christ in every realm of life. Uh, brothers and sisters, these are good times for us. These are good times for the people of God. Uh, for here, I think the authenticity of our faith is going to shine forth. I think we're going to grow even closer to the Lord and to one another as the culture wars against God and against Christ all around us. And as we go forward, we must trust that the Lord will provide a way. We must trust that the Lord will provide a way. The Lord provided a way for the people of Israel, and He did so in a most miraculous way. The Israelites were boxed in. As they looked upon their situation with their natural eyes, they could not see a way out. There was not a way for them. But God made a way for them where there was no way. He divided the sea so that Israel could pass through on dry land. Not only that, the angel of God, who we know to be the Lord Himself, uh, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And so we see that the Lord opened up a way where there was no way, and He positioned Himself to protect Israel. He was a pillar of light to them, but a pillar of darkness to the Egyptians. That's how I interpret this text, if you can picture it. The Lord moved to the rear of, of, of the Hebrews of, of Israel, I believe he was a, a light to the Israelites to guide them and to direct them in the way that they were going. But he was darkness to the Egyptians. It's a powerful image there, I think. And this kept the Egyptians from overrunning the Hebrews as they went on their way. It separated the Egyptians from the Hebrews. The Lord protected Israel. And not only was this way miraculously opened up, it was also filled with symbolism Please do not lose sight of the fact that the Lord could have delivered the Egyptian, delivered the Hebrews in any way that He chose, but He determined to do so in this way. Have, have you ever thought of that? He could have delivered the Hebrews, Israel, in any way that He chose, but He determined to do it in this way, through the outpouring of ten plagues, by means of the Passover, by leading Israel through the sea. Why did He take them through the sea? Why didn't He take them in another direction so that they would not be entrapped? Why did He move Pharaoh to pursue? Why this way? The answer is that He was demonstrating something. He was demonstrating His power and He was also signifying something, namely salvation from His wrath and the creation of something new. Do not forget the symbolism of water found in Genesis. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, etc. In the beginning, when the earth was first brought into existence, it was covered with water. 
It was a watery expanse, not suitable for human habitation. There was no way for human life to to live there or to thrive there. And the Lord formed and fashioned the earth by the power of His Word to make a home where man can dwell. That's how the Scriptures begin with that beautiful description. This watery expanse, not suitable for human habitation, but the Lord, by the power of His Word, divided the waters, brought forth dry land, filled that land with vegetation and with animals. He made a home. He made a home for man. And in the days of Noah, God judged the world that was then with water. But Noah and his family were brought safely through the judgment in the ark. Do you picture it here? The earth was covered with water, but Noah and his family, uh, the Lord favored them. They were brought through this great ordeal, this act of judgment in the ark. were lifted up in that ark. They were preserved in that ark. And that ark soon came to rest on dry land and they disembarked into a new world to establish a new humanity. Interesting, right? The theme of of water, its threat to man, its significance concerning the judgment of God in this case, in the case of Noah. And the Lord bringing His people through the waters, as it were, to establish something new, a new humanity in the case of Noah. And here in the Exodus, we see that the Israelites were brought through the waters of judgment being led by Moses, who was himself drawn out of the waters as an infant. The Lord brought him, and through him the Hebrews, through the waters of judgment, to enter into a covenant with them, and to make them into a new nation, and a holy land, which God had promised to them. There's a lot of symbolism here. That's what I'm saying. God could have led Israel in another way. He could have persuaded Pharaoh not to pursue, and off they would have went, you know, on their journey. But he led them in this way. They were boxed in. He divided the waters, and I'm saying there was symbolism in that. The theme is unmistakably clear. God has determined to provide a way of salvation for His elect. He would make a way for them to enter into the new creation by shielding them from His just wrath. Noah and his family on the ark and Israel walking on dry land between the divided waters were pictures of this. Ultimately, these things were pictures of Christ who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The ark, the divided waters of the Red Sea, I think these are pictures of Christ. Christ is the way. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to the new heavens and new earth. He is the one who shields us from the wrath of God, the same wrath that will be poured out upon others who are not in Christ. The Lord will provide a way. That was the message being communicated in the days of Moses. And when I say the Lord will provide a way, I think it is right to apply this to our life as sojourners in the world. The Lord does provide a way for His people. He is ever-present with us. He does give us this day our daily bread. He is faithful to guide us and direct us. He opens up paths for His people where no path was seen before. Have you ever experienced this? I know that you have. I know you well enough to know that you've experienced this in life at some point. If you have not, I trust that you will. The Lord leads His people. He is with them to provide for them and to protect them. But the saying, the Lord will provide a way, must mean more than this. For the greatest threats to man are not the trials and tribulations of this life, but death and judgment. The scriptures say it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is the ordeal that Christ came to save us from. 
the ordeal of death and judgment. He has divided the waters of God's wrath so that those who have faith in Him may pass through on dry ground into the heavenly promised land. That is what is being signified here. And friends, this is the purpose for which Christ came into the world. He came not to shield us from every trial and tribulation, but to make a way for us into the new heavens and earth. He has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. You see, Christ is the one who has opened up a way for us to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Christ is the one who has parted the waters of God's judgment. Christ is the one who shields us from God's wrath. The Lord provided a way for the Hebrews. And He provides a way for us as we sojourn in this world. Most importantly, He provided a way for man to pass safely through the waters of death and judgment. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All who will be saved will be saved through Christ, and through this way that He has opened up for us. Thirdly and lastly, let us recognize that the Lord provides a way for His people and that He will get the glory in the end, both in judgment and in grace. In verse 17 we hear the Lord say, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. As the story unfolds, we are told that the Egyptians did follow Israel into the sea. It seems to me that the way of the Hebrews was illuminated by the glory of God, whereas the way of the Egyptians was shrouded in darkness. The Lord was light to His people and darkness to His enemies. Verse 24 we read, And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces. I take this to mean that the Lord revealed the splendor of His glory to them for the first time. There they were going forward in darkness, but in the morning watch the Lord shine forth His, His glory upon the Egyptians, and this threw them into a panic. The wheels of their chariots were clogged with mud. They drove heavily, and the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses did this. He stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course. So that path that was opened up for the Hebrews, that, that, that way of salvation became judgment for the Egyptians. They, they fled, but they were thrown into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered them, the chariots, the horsemen, all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed the Hebrews into the sea. Not one remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord, and in His, in his servants, Moses, and His servant Moses. 
We see that the Lord did get the glory here. He got the glory amongst the Egyptians. They feared. They were judged. Word spread of this, certainly in Egypt, and even to the nations where the Hebrews would eventually go. They, 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 they got the word. They got the message that the Lord fights for Israel. But also, the Hebrews themselves were, were moved to give glory to God. They feared the Lord. They believed the Lord. And also, His servant Moses. The Lord, the God of Israel, was glorified as He graciously provided a way for His people and as He justly judged the wicked and oppressive Egyptians. These were the Egyptians, mind you, who decreed that the newborn sons of the Hebrews be cast into the waters of the Nile. Now the Lord cast them into the waters of the sea. Just as the salvation that the Lord accomplished for Israel was an earthly picture of the eternal salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, so too the judgment poured out upon the Egyptians was an earthly picture of the final and eternal judgment that Christ will administer at the end of time. All who are not united to Him by faith will be judged. And I'm saying that God will be glorified both for His abundant grace and for His just judgments. In Revelation 19.1, we find a description of the celebration that will take place in heaven when the judgments of God are poured out at the end of time. John writes, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true. And just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came voices saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. This worship that is going to be offered up to God at the end of time. What is it concerning? Well, here it is concerning God's judgments that are true and they are just. God will get the glory, both as it pertains to His grace that He has shown to us in Christ Jesus. The redeemed will praise Him for the grace that has been shown to Him. But the redeemed will also praise Him in regard to the judgments that He executes at the end of time. They are true and they are just. He will receive glory for both. I think it would be good to conclude by drawing your attention to what follows this story in Exodus. In chapter 15, we're going to encounter a song. You can peek at it really quickly if you'd like. It's called the Song of Moses. But it was a song that all Israel sang after witnessing the great act of salvation that the Lord had worked for them and the just judgments that the Lord poured out on the Egyptians. After passing through the sea, the people sang. And this reminds me very much of the songs of the book of Revelation. After witnessing the salvation of the Lord and the judgments of the Lord, angels and men in heaven burst forth in praise. I've read to you Revelation 19. And this, this praise that is offered up to God at the end of time after God pours out His just judgments. But I'm reminded also of Revelation 15. And it is interesting that the song of Moses is mentioned there in Revelation 15. 
And it's mentioned there so that we might make the connection between the Exodus event, our current experience, and what God will do at the end of time. This is after the introduction of the seven plagues of Revelation 15. But it's here that we read, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing by the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses. Isn't that interesting? And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Brothers and sisters, as we consider the Exodus event, we must not forget that we too have experienced an Exodus in Christ Jesus. We've been transferred from one kingdom into another, and this has required us to make a clean break with the former. The evil one pursues us as we sojourn. The world is not pleased when we refuse to align with them and their evil ways, so they revile us and even persecute us. But we must go forward trusting that the Lord will provide a way and that He will get the glory. At the end of time, we will praise Him for His salvation. We will sing to Him saying, Great and amazing are Your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are Your ways, O King of the nations. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this Exodus story. We thank You for this historical event, this work of redemption that you accomplished so long ago. And we thank you for the way that you accomplished it so that it would serve as a picture for us and for our life in Christ. We thank you for the way that you proved yourself faithful, powerful, and true to the Hebrews so long ago. You made a way for them. You protected them. You brought them safely through into the promised land. And now, O Lord, we trust that you will do the same for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, do strengthen our faith. Help us to sojourn well in this world. Help us to trust that you will fight for us. But enable us, O Lord, to go forward. Help us to walk day by day by faith. Obeying your commandments. Doing the simple things that you've called us to do, O God. Trusting that you, O Lord, will preserve us, you will bring us safely home, and you will get the glory in the end. Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.